0: morning, chapter one, the sermon text is going to be something of a topical sermon from verse 14, but I think for a little bit of context, maybe I'll, I'll read verse from verse one to verse 14. Hear God's holy word. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a sabbath day journey. When they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary. Mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Again, Lord God, we're here because you, Holy Spirit, have granted us faith, joining us to Christ. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. You are the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, even the shepherd of your flock, and we belong to you. We pray, O God that as your disciples, we would learn of you. We would learn both from your preaching, Jesus, and your teaching, that we should pray, and we should learn from your practice, Jesus Christ, that we should pray. May we be a praying people. We pray this in the Redeemer's name. Amen. Last week, we looked at, I think it was verses 12 and 13. I intended verse 14. Uh, but we ended up with enough material for a standalone sermon. We dealt with the subject of the church, the church as the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been taken away from sin, and we are those that confess Jesus. Uh, the Christian church consists of those who have been called out of their sin, and we have been called out of darkness. The Bible says we've been called out of the kingdom of darkness and death. Colossians chapter one thirteen. And we've been translated into the kingdom of the beloved. So we we are, as Christian people, as the Christian church, we are people of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a, a believer, you may have, um, I don't know, in the world's way of thinking, uh, a low position in life. For, for many years, I was a carpet cleaner. <laughs> someone I just introduced myself this morning to someone. I'm John the Carpet Guy. I, I said that for 11 years, so I don't know what I was thinking. Too much coffee. So... <laughs> You you may be John or Sally the carpet guy. You may have very little low place in life. But don't ever think of yourself as little or low in the bad sense. As a believer, you belong to the Lord. He writes his name on you, and your name is written upon him. You, You are the Lord's people. And we spoke about this morning. It was a perplexing doctrine to me in Sunday school, the doctrine of the covenant of works. But one of the things that we said is that God entered into a covenant with Adam and then with the second Adam, we're in a special relationship with God, human beings, and certainly born again human beings. Having that privilege, that special relationship, we ought to think like it and speak like it and act like it as we go about as the Lord's people. You have Christian belonging to Jesus stamped on you. So whether you're a ditch digger, you are the Lord's ditch digger. And if you're changing diapers, you are the lord's ch- diaper changer, and everything is is sanctified or consecrated in that way, and we ourselves should conduct ourselves. So you think, well, I'm just a garbage man, no, you're a royal garbage man. Um, there's a sense of of worth from which we should derive our contentment. The second thing we talked about by the r- virtue of church is we've been called out of that sin part. Um, the gospel is the thing that calls us out of that sin, certainly. It's the gospel outwardly, um, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, turn to me, be saved. But it is the Holy Spirit that makes it effectual. So if you are a true, true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, you really believe. You know, sometimes I feel bad that I always hyphenate everything. True believer, go to heaven, Christian, that kind of thing. I do feel bad. There is a possibility to, to say that you're a Christian and a possibility to even think that you're a Christian but not to truly possess Christ. Being inside the church doesn't mean you're inside Christ. Saying that you have faith is not the same thing as having faith. But I'll I'll speak to you if you have faith. If you have faith in Jesus, you know Jesus. I was raised in a church, the Catholic church. I did not know Jesus. And when I came to know Jesus, it was like night and day. If you know Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit gave you eyes to see. And to see your sin to see the danger of the law, and then to see the beauty of Christ, the need of Christ, the benefits of Christ. So th- th- that's what the church is. And then the, the other word that we looked at, which is kind of what's going on here in, in this passage, is we, we said there are places, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we've been called out, but we are gathered together. We are gathered together. It's the synagogue idea. where the assembly. Christians gather together. We're sheep. I know people think I'm the lone wolf. I don't know. I'm the lone wolf. I don't know about the lone wolf. We're not lone wolves. <laughs> we're, not, we're not wolves. We're sheep. The moment we are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, truly, by faith, we're spiritually joined to him. That very moment, we're mystically joined to other believers, true believers. That's the communion of the saints business. I would commend to you reading Confession of Faith, chapter 26. So we have this This unity, principle, which we see in the text. They're one heart, one mind, one purpose, one love, because we're joined to one Lord. So we're one people, whether you're OPC, PCA, JPC. Sometimes I do get a little sad about all this splitting, the the micro churches. It makes me a little sad. But until we get to heaven, I suppose we're going to split over everything. But we're really before the Lord one people. And so what we see with this gathering of one people, and just as an aside, there are a lot of Christians that say, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. I'm sympathetic to that. Um, (laughs) Not that you should go to church. I'm sympathetic with the idea that sometimes people say, you know, I don't go to church. It was, I got beat up by a church once, and a guy said a mean thing to me once from the pulpit. And I just never get anything from church. I am sympathetic with that. Before I was a minister, I wanted to take breaks from church, too. Not after I was a minister, of course. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit inside of you, joining you to Jesus, is going to inherently drive you, push you, compel you, whatever that word is, to join with other believers. And I'm not talking particular denomination. You just want to worship with other believers. That's what you're going to want to do. Fish swim, cats meow. We're Christians. Christians gather with other Christians. So it's very dicey when someone says, I'm the kind of Christian that never gets with other Christians. (laughs) That's the not go to heaven kind of Christian. These Christians gather together. I'm going to argue later. I'm going to argue. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I think this is the Lord's Day. I think the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Lord's Day, the Sunday. If you look in the book of Leviticus, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the day of Pentecost occurs one day after the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, which is a Sunday. So th- maybe I'll, I'll bring this into this sermon or in chapter two, if I live to chapter two. But they're gathered together on the, word, the the Lord's Day. And they're gathered together worshiping on the Lord's Day. This is what happens to true believers. I love Jesus. And I love the people of jesus and i want to worship god through christ and so they're they're gathered here doing that and we're seeing that they're engaged in a number of things peter's going to be preaching so there's preaching on the lord's day preaching of the word of god on the lord's day and we know later in the book of ephesians they're singing hymns and psalms and i I know folks say it's psalms psalms and psalms i went to seminary with many of those guys i love the psalms by the way (laughs) <laughs> but he does use spiritual hymns and songs. But there's singing on the Lord's Day. There's singing in worship. And then we see one of the main, main activities that these folks are engaged in is their praying. This is part of their worship. I think it's our Confession of Faith chapter 20, 21, 20, something like that. It deals with spiritual religious worship. Part of our worship is prayer. When you're walking around, I walk around the field in the morning praying, so, you, when you're walking around, when you walk out to your car, when you're folding laundry, you can pray. You're worshiping. You're worshiping God. You're adoring God. You're thinking about God. And that's what they're gathered collectively to do. Can they pray individually? Certainly. Can they pray with their fam- families? They should pray with their families. But they're gathered together in this corporate gathering, this religious gathering. They're adoring God. They're praying for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And that's what they're gathered together for the purpose of doing. Now, I mentioned this sermon will be something of a topical. Verse 14, I really want to deal with the subject of prayer. I've said this before in preaching, that I believe the two main, the means of grace are the word, sacrament, and prayer. Let me just take word and prayer. I believe reading the Bible is easier than Prayer. We can read the Bible perfunctorily or just with flesh. Just by brute will, you can say, I am going to read the Bible, and you read the Bible. You do your your Bible time in the morning. Check. It is way harder. It is way harder to pray, pray. Pray, pray. Pray so that your heart moves. There was a Puritan that said he wouldn't stop praying until he cried for his people. And the the idea is he wouldn't... Stop praying until his heart moved. Morris Roberts, he's a living guy. He's an awesome, buy anything you can buy from Morris Roberts. He's a Scotsman, Englishman and Scotlanders, vice versa. And he calls much of our prayers um, having no heart. There's no emotion. There's no real connecting with God. It's just moving of lips. He calls it devotionless devotions, devotionless devotions because prayer is so hard we all struggle with it i won't even ask you the quantity of your prayer the quality of your prayer i already know because i know my own heart it's if we took a stopwatch to our prayer how long would it last 20 seconds if that the quality less than the 20 seconds i know that it's difficulty we, we're 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 like-minded because of that, because of the importance of it, God calls us to pray, the blessings of it, they're going to have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them when they're praying, the blessings of it, and then the duty of it, the obligation of it. And so I, I think it's, it's worthwhile. Now, on the general subject of prayer, let's just treat what they're gathered together. Obviously, they're praying. There's one particular word, I think, is It's with thanks or something like that. Yes, prosyuko it's with thanks. They're gathered together for a particular prayer. These are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ praying, but let's just first deal with the idea or the subject of prayer in, in general. Basically, prayer is, um, if I were to ask you, what is prayer? Many years ago, I asked that in a study in the church, and I think one of the kids or one of the ladies said, prayer is just talking to God. And, of course, the super-reformed people, are, don't be ridiculous, can't you quote your catechism? And I said, no, no, that that's that's legitimate. Let's just deal with prayer, basically, what it is. Prayer, essentially, is man speaking or trying to speak with God, talking with God. It proposes a number of things. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. There's two kinds of prayer in the world. I don't mean like Acts, Confession, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. I mean prayer that is acceptable to God and prayer that is unacceptable to God. So there is talking to God that God says, I approve of and I receive it. And then there's other talking to God that he rejects. Now, in the modern world and where modern Christians, people would recoil at that idea that the God of heaven and earth says, No, I don't accept that prayer. No, I reject it. And I do accept that prayer, and I do receive it. Because supposedly, God is just this, whatever he is, he does whatever man says. And whatever we say we want, he likes. But that's not the God of the Bible. The talking to God, or trying to talk to God, apart from Christ, is rejected. Being found in Christ, talking to God, is received. Talking, certainly to a false God, is rejected by a true God talking to the true God of the, of the Bible in Christ is received. We'll talk about that more. But, but the general definition of prayer is um, talking with God. I would argue this. I would argue that all people pray. And as soon as you say, as soon as I say all people pray, you could say, like I could say, I have a, a family member who is an avowed atheist. And you could say, no, Pastor, all people do not pray. My cousin Bobby is an avowed atheist. He doesn't pray. I'm going to acknowledge with you that yes, your cousin Bobby says he's an atheist. But I know something about your atheist cousin Bobby. He's not really an atheist. Not really. He doesn't really not believe in God, and he doesn't really not pray to some God at some occasion. Why can I say that? I can say that because the Bible says it. God says there are no real atheists. There are people that say they're atheists. They deny the existence of God. And what does God say to them? You're a fool. Why are are they foolish? The fancy thing that they're engaged in This is what I learned in seminary. One of the things I learned in seminary was incongruous epistemology. Fancy phrase. Pretty fancy. Incongruous epistemology. It means it's a goofball thing. You're denying what you know is true. So the atheist says there is no God. But inside, he or she knows there is a God. They're denying what they know is true. We're just establishing that all people pray. All people try to worship a God. All people are religious. Everyone is, even the atheists. They may worship themselves, but they know that they're kidding themselves. Why do I say that? There's a place in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, I think, God sets what into the heart of every man? Eternity. He sets eternity. You go to a funeral and look at the face of an atheist. And what are you looking at? Not an atheist. Go to a funeral and watch the atheists, those people that say, I don't believe in God, watch how sober they are. They know. They know. They know that there is a God. They know that the God of the Bible is God. And they deny him. Listen to the Bible Romans 1. We're just establishing that all people worship some kind of God and all people pray. To some kind of God, at least on some occasions. This is the Bible. So there are no real atheists, not really. Romans 1 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, His eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and foolish in their hearts. Professing to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They know what they're doing is wrong. They know that the God of the Bible is God. They know praying to the stick or the stone is wrong, but they do it. All human beings are religious. All human beings worship. All human beings pray. My wife, I think when she was a young one, was told to bow down to their God, their false God, and it's half of, half of a human being and half of an elephant. And she laughed, for which I think she was earned a chanta, which means a slap. The little girl understood this is not a God. This is not a God. But over time, you're taught, bow down to the beast, bow down to the beast, bow down to the beast. All human beings, beloved, pray. Because the Bible tells us that God created us as religious creatures. God created us to worship him and part of that worship is God created us to pray to him and and subsequent to fall of Adam I understand that that has all been trashed but still yet man is a religious creature and man will worship and man will pray to some God there's a place how the gold has become dim look at what man worships and look at what man prays to you might even argue they're worshiping and praying to the state, but that would be another sermon. But I want to look at today, that's just prayer in general. This is not prayer in general which is being offered up. The, the, these are not unbelievers gathered together. What we're looking at in verse 14 is not unacceptable prayer. This is acceptable prayer. This is prayer that the God of the Bible accepts because it's directed to the God of the Bible. It's to God the Father through through the Son and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. The people that are gathered together in verse 14, just generally, these are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are believers. So we're looking at a believer's prayer. So when our brother read us through the Shorter Catechism on those two questions, I want to add the larger catechism, I think, better summarizes. It's just extrapolation of the Shorter Catechism. It better summarizes because it introduces in a better way, the more Trinitarian aspect of our prayer, what true acceptable prayer is of the believer. This is larger Catechism 178. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, the God of the Bible, in the name of Christ as our mediator, by the help of his spirit. You see the Trinitarian nature? With confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So, when we're talking about prayer, we're distinguishing the kind of prayer that we're engaged in as believers from the generic prayer of, say, the unbeliever. This is a believer's prayer. The only proper object of prayer, the the one to whom we pray, is the God of the Bible. We, We should only pray to the God of the Bible. Only the God of the Bible. And I know this would... Earn us expulsion from I I suppose the better part of society because it's so narrow minded and not politically correct. There are no other gods. There are no other gods. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10, no other gods. And those other gods are either the figment of men's imagination or their demons. Only the God of the Bible. God says, and beside me there is no other. Boy, isn't that narrow minded. I suppose it is, but it's right. So this is exclusive truth, yes. So we are to, to, prayer that God accepts is only made to the God of the Bible, only to him. So would we be saying, if you pray to these false gods, that's not, yes, unacceptable. If you don't pray to the God of the Bible, let's say you pray, I prayed for, oh, I don't know how many years of my life. I prayed to the Virgin Mary, for years. And I prayed to St. Patrick for years and years. He's my patron saint. My confirmation name as a Roman Catholic was, was um, from Patrick. And I prayed to St. Patrick constantly. I prayed to get my grandfather out of purgatory constantly, daily. So praying to Mary, is she part of the Godhead? I, I'm, I'm not being polemical. I'm really not. We just had so-called St. Patrick's Day. Everybody got drunk and like drank green beer. silly why are we so silly is St. Patrick God the only acceptable object of prayer is God the triune God we pray to God and to be specific is what the catechism does the acceptable way of praying is we're praying to the Father through the Son, the mediatorial work in person of the Son, Jesus. He brings us into the, to the presence of His Father. He takes away the offense, and He reconciles us. We can't just go bitty-bopping into the presence of God without Jesus. We would hear, depart you sinner. Christ is our mediator. He reconciles man to God and God to man. He brings us in. Our prayers are all in the name of Jesus, even when we don't say it expressly. Now, sometimes people can do that by way of practic- practice, They say, in the name of Jesus, like a million times. I actually think that's almost a breaking of the third commandment. It's it's almost taking the name of the Lord in vain, almost. But that's just my, my, I guess, a scruple I have. But whether you say, in the name of Jesus or not, as a believer, your prayers are brought up to God the Father through God the Son. He is our high priest, as the Bible says. So your person is accepted, your prayers are accepted, not because our hands are clean, but because Christ's hands are clean. And and then all of this is done by the power and in reliance of or upon the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thought you were Presbyterians and not Pentecostals. I thought only Pentecostals did the Holy Spirit. That's ridiculous. And notice when they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, What are they going out to do? To witness of Jesus to the ends of the earth, even to be martyred. And I'm not picking on my Pentecostal friends and brothers and sisters in Jesus. But this is how, to the one that we pray. We can pray properly to the Father. We can say, oh, Father, our Father who art in heaven. We can say, thou, Son of David, have mercy. We can pray to the Father. We can pray to the Son. We can pray to the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Give me victory. Give me strength. Help me from this temptation. We can pray directly to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5. When Ananias and Sapphira, I think, lied, Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied to God? So the proper object is only the God of the Bible. So no prayers to other gods, no prayers to other human beings, and no prayers to angels. Even I won't get into it because it is polemical. There are shows like to "Pray to your guardian angel." Don't pray to your guardian angel. <laughs> Do not pray to your guardian angel. Only God. Why? Why? Let's just say the holy angels. Are holy angels not ministering spirits? Sense of them in that inherit eternal life. Yes, I just quoted Hebrews one fourteen. I think. What does God have that an angel doesn't have? Even a holy angel. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. And God is omnipotent. No creature is. No creature. The devil's none of those things. Demons are none of those things. Holy angels are none of those things. We're none of those things. When you're in the belly of the fish, who's with you? is with you God is with you there's no place you go just practically speaking the reason this is so comforting anywhere we go as believers God is there especially with believers The, the, the business of prayer, acceptable prayer shows us how God is intimate with creation and he's especially intimate with his people with the church. What, what is it? His eyes upon the sparrow? How much more so us? Because of who God is. I think, the older I get, we are a bundle of needs, human beings. We are a bundle of needs. We really are. In every season of my life, I can think, well, if I can get to be 16, I'll drive a car, and then things will be great. And then when I can get it to be 18 and get out of this lousy house, it's going to be even better And then when I could be 21, 22 and get married, boy, howdy, it's going to be great then. In every season of the life, you're thinking you're going to get to a place and you're, well, you're not, you don't have any needs. Oh, beloved. You have needs right up to the very last moment where you say, I'm leaving. Needs. And so we pray to the one who knows everything. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about everything. It's not like he's not there and he has all power. There are people that you love very much. If you had the power, you would heal them. You'd heal their body, their mind, their spirits. You'd heal their marriage. You'd heal the relationship with their kids or their kids with you. You'd get him a job. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? What's the problem? You don't have all power. Now, let's just suppose you had some power. There are people that you wouldn't heal. <laughs> What's the problem? You don't have all love. You don't have all love. God is an all-loving believer. As believers, we're loved in Christ. We're loved. One of the privileges we, in, we enjoy by virtue of being adopted to God in Jesus Christ, one of the privileges we enjoy is acceptable prayer. That God receives our prayer. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we cry out what? Abba, Father. And so, beloved, the proper object of acceptable prayer is the, the God of the Bible. And so we have believers here. They're gathered to pray. We've talked about essentially what it means to be a believer is to be taken from sin, away from sin, and being bound to Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible says belongs to us as believers. This is a motive of, of the people of God to pray. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God. I I want you to think about this. This is what enables us to pray, and this is what motivates us to pray. Now, now, in Christ, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand And we exalt in the hope and the glory of God, beloved. We're not the old man. We're we're, we are not dead in our sins and trespasses. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you think, "Well, I was a drug addict, I was unclean sexually, or I was a thief, and I'm still all of those things as a believer," and you're a believer, stop saying that to yourself. Stop saying that to yourself. Everyone in this room talks to yourself the whole day. I know that you do. Quit lying on yourself as a believer. Why don't you say what God says about you? You're a new creature in Christ. I'm not talking walk around like cock of the block. I'm not talking about being silly. But we're new you are a new creature in Christ. What did Adam and Eve do when they first sinned against God? What did they do? They ran away from God. Did they want to talk to God? When your kids were little and they broke, broke I don't know, house rule a million and two, and they knew it was going to be if you gave your kids lickens, if they knew they were going to get a licking, did they want to talk to you? No. They didn't want to talk to you. And so Adam and Eve didn't want to talk to God. They're fallen in sin. Now as a believer, you don't run from God, you run to God. And whereas the unbeliever doesn't want to talk to the true God of heaven and earth, what happens to you? You want to talk to God. And I, I recognize there's a war in our members against the things of the Holy Spirit. I get it. But we are new creatures in Christ to live like Christ, to imitate Christ. And when we think of the business of prayer as these new creatures, remember we said everyone's religious? Everyone's religious. Everyone prays. We have now been re- restored to God in Christ as this holy, acceptable, religious creature designed by God to pray. Race horses, you look at a dog. I used to go to the dog track when I was in college and I, I wasn't a good better. And, but we would go to the dogs. And you look at a greyhound versus, say, I don't know, a chihuahua. God designed, God designed one to sit on your lap and to, to like bite everybody around you. And then God designed the other dog to do what? To run like the wind. Those dogs can run like the wind. God made them like that. Beloved, in Jesus Christ, God has made you to pray. You are a praying creature. You are a creature designed, joined to union, union with God, but friendship, fellowship, Think of your marriage. If you love your wife, you're going to want to talk to your wife. If you love your husband, you're going to want to talk to your husband. If you love your God, you're going to want to talk to your God. Remember, prayer is talking to God. And if I could use that wife analogy, husband analogy, I know lots of people spend lots of money on marriage counseling, and I'm not saying secular marriage counseling or even so-called Christian marriage counseling it has no place. I think to some degree it It does. I could save you a lot of money, I think. Um, how, How about this? How about shutting off the stupid phone or the computer or not going to work for or whatever or not going to play and just talk to your wife? Maybe just talk to your husband. How about this? How about pray with and for your wife and pray with and for your husband out loud? Can you hate your wife or your husband while you're praying good things for them? (laughs) Oh, boy. That's how the relationship grows. But that's what we're created to do. We're created to talk to God in Christ Jesus. And who's the great example, exemplar or example of what it means to be a perfect praying person? Isn't it Christ? Isn't it Christ? I hope the whole sermon, what I want for this sermon is, for me is what I want it for you. I want us to be a praying people. This whole sermon is designed to pray. <laughs> pray when you're alone. Pray when, when you're with your family. Pray when you're in the car. Pray in church. Pray. Pray. God tells us to pray. Jesus says to pray propositionally. Jesus shows us to pray practically even the disciples say John's taught his disciples to pray we 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 prayed it Jesus teach us to pray what is it Matthew 6:11 Luke 11 pray how should we pray pray to glory to God and to, to praise God and pray for your needs it's just a model prayer when you think of Jesus the practice of Jesus as his praying practice he would and when he prays, and not just as an aside, it's not a Bible study. People say, well, see, Jesus prayed to the Father that shows he's not God. Why would God pray to God? That's stupid. So they reject the Trinity. That's stupid. <laughs> Jesus prays because he is a real human mediator. He's not praying as the ontological second person of the Godhead. He's, prea- he's praying as our mediator. And he's praying as a real human being to teach us as human beings to pray he would, he would, sometimes the guys would go off to bed after working all day long, and what would he do? He'd go up on the mountain somewhere, he'd get away somewhere, and he'd be alone and pray. Or what else would he would do? He would wake up while it was still dark and go off to be alone and to pray. I said to a brother yesterday at the work day, I heard an old man minister one time say, he has to pray to God first before he can start his work day at the church, he says I want to talk to God before I talk to man you've got to get alone and and, and I'm arguing it would be better to lose a little few weeks of sleep sleep on the front end or on the back end we would be better Christians we would be happier Christians more useful more Christ-like if we would forego a little sleep forego a little entertainment and get alone get alone Because once you have people around, you you won't pray. And then as regarding some of the things that he, Jesus, the the Lord's Prayer really is not Matthew 6. The Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17. And you know what he's praying in, the high priestly prayer? You know what he prays for in John 17? I pray, Father, that they may be be what? Oh, please. (laughs) The older I get, this is not true when I was younger as a minister here. I've been here 20 years. In my early ministry, I was fiery. And people, we had 100 people here then. People liked to be yelled at and when I would hit them off the head with a fastball. I'm not that anymore. I'm not that anymore. 20 years of living has taken that out of me. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a doctrinal manby-pamby, I'm not but it's made me softer. I don't want to beat up on the Baptists, on the Pentecostals, on the JPC. I don't want to beat up on anyone. If you love the same Christ I love and you believe in the same gospel I believe in, which is the gospel, then we're one. Then we're one. Oh, but they don't do the... They don't do this. Whatever. (laughs) Father, I pray that they may be one. That's what he prayed for. Oh, I pray everybody come to the hootsie, hootsie, or whatever. He didn't pray that. He prayed that we would be peaceable, that we would have one Lord, one faith, one gospel, one love, that there would be a unity. And I don't mean a forced unity. You can say you must vow to be unified to this confession of faith. I know that you can do that. What does that mean? Most of the people vowing that they are unified to one confession of faith don't have a clue what they're vowing to. That doesn't make a person one. You can, make a per- you can make people unified with a sword. What makes them unified here? Oh, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that joins us to the Holy Christ, that brings us to the Holy Father. This is mystical. This is faith. This is what faith can do. And God shows us what to pray for and where and how to pray. Jesus Christ goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and what does he do? Remember I talked about the heartless prayer and the devotionless devotions? He is so fervent, he's bleeding out of his pores. Why? Because he's about to be made sin. The sins of the world are going to be put upon him. What should we pray for? Let's pray for sin. Let's pray for a holy hatred to sin. Let's pray to be holy in our lives, in the lives of our kids, our grandkids, in the life of this world. Rather than like making jokes of all the nonsense that goes out, maybe we should cry about it. Maybe we should weep about it. Sweat in our prayers. Father, and what does he pray on the cross? Father, forgive them. That's He's showing us to pray and what to pray for. I want to end with this. I almost never do this. I almost never quote another man's writing in my preaching. Almost never. But as regards to prayer, what our prayer life could do, my thought is this. If we were a Bible-reading people, I mean really. I mean privately, individually, and then with our families. If we were a Bible-reading people, and if we could recapture prayer, I mean real prayer. Individually, in our families, in our churches, our lives would be radically transformed. Our church would be radically transformed. Our families would be radically transformed. And I think the nation would be radically transformed. And here's the bit of another man's writings I want to bring in. And I I know someone may say, well, Pastor, this is just the kind of the Christianity 101 the prayer business that's exactly right it is christianity 101 most christians don't do christianity 101 because they think they want to do christianity 404 but if you don't do the 101 you can't get to the 404 there was a convention called the keswick convention in the 1800s i think 1874 to 1875 in england it was called higher life i won't i think oswald chambers was Higher life i won't tell you the rest of the guys because you'll get mad at them it was higher life they had this idea of total abandonment i totally gave god my will i totally consecrated myself i totally abandoned my entire will to god how is that possible but that's what they thought and when you did this then you were in fifth gear then you were super christian you had super your marriage was awesome everything was super success The reason the church is so pitiful is because you're not doing the super thing. And so people would go to these meetings and they were very pizzazzy, lots of music, lots of excitement. They probably have cafe lattes, and kung fu. It was awesome. And people got jazzed out of their minds. And they left for a time, jazzed out of their minds. Yes, we're super consecrated. We're super Christians. And then my favorite J.C. Ryle, who lives during this time, he, he, he writes this. To those who attend these meetings, you're ready? This is where prayer is going to come in. And J.C. Ryle is super gentle, but he asks these questions. Do those who attend these meetings become more holy, meek, unselfish, kind, good-tempered, self-denying, and Christ-like at home? Are you more gentle and kind and loving at home? From the fancy meeting, from the fancy this, from the fancy that, or by prayer, communion with God. He says this, Do fathers, mothers, husbands, and other relatives and friends find them more pleasant and easy to live with? When you go to such and so program, are you going to be a better husband, wife, father, child? Do people want to be with you? Are you still a prickly porcupine? Beloved, Is prayer. It's meeting with God. It's meeting with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He says this, I cannot withhold a growing suspicion that the great mass meetings of the present day for the ostensible object of promoting spiritual life, do not tend to promote private home religion, private Bible reading, private prayer, private usefulness, and private walking with God. Let's just say everything else is everything else. If those things that we get involved in don't drive us to personal prayer and to the personal prayer and religious life of our homes, you can throw them away. They're useless. I'm going to say this and I'm going to quit. The Christian life begins with a prayer and the Christian life ends with a prayer. The Christian life begins with Thou, Son of David, have mercy on me The sinner and then we pray our whole life and then someday we're going to pray Lord Jesus Christ receive my spirit may God be pleased with the preaching of his word